Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. All right, I don't think this is necessarily going to be the lengthy episode that the last one was, but I have a great deal to go over here. Just a couple of uh, Gavin Newsom-related things first. Then I want to jump into education, per usual. Got a couple of stories there, and even one from the past that is certainly worth bringing up, which is not a good story at all, but uh, certainly a story of an individual who's wide awake during arguably one of the worst times in history, in particular when you're in the education field back in 2020. And then I've got some jab-related things as well, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, October 4th and some other things that I've learned, and I want to play maybe a little audio from Dr. Lee Merritt, and we'll see if I get to that. But uh, anyway, I want to start with this. Out in California, we know that Gavin Newsom and the legislature out there, of course, have always been trying to drive a wedge between parents and their own children, because government thinks, of course, that they are the best parent. Well, they failed on their bill when it came to schools being able to essentially decide for the child whether or not they are a female or a boy and playing all that pretend sex-related nonsense. That, he, he vetoed that bill. Unfortunately, he came back with a couple of other bills that he allowed to take place, one of which had to do with forcing multi-gender bathrooms, essentially, in all schools. So that's apparently a law now in California. You can use whatever bathroom you want, no problem. So there's that. Unfortunately, there was also this. And he signed into law requiring that foster parents show that they will support their child's sexual orientation or gender identity. Now again, this falls right in line with what many foster parents and foster families have been doing for quite some time. Some of them out there are absolute saints, and I want that to be abundantly known. There are luminous people who do amazing work with children that are not their own, and they purposely take in these children again to teach them things, a variety of things. It could be something as simple as bathing themselves because they were never taught and they just don't know. Um, making their beds, learning how to comb their hair, clean themselves, like I said, uh, dress themselves, sit at a table, set a table, make a meal, things of that nature. These, these foster homes do exist. However, we also know that many foster homes are child sex trafficking operations, abusive organizations, and a thousand other things that are absolutely horrific. This this particular law that he has just signed, or bill that he's signed into law, falls right in that category. Not to the former, but certainly the latter category. So I just want to read this very briefly here. It's kind of a summary. It says, The bill, SB 407, directs the Department of Social Services to amend the foster care vetting process to deny a family the right to foster children based on their beliefs about gender identity. State Senator Scott Weiner who's a pedophile, allegedly, introduced the legislation which he says ensures LGBTQ foster youth are raised in support environments by creating standard documentation for their needs, adding more follow-up from the Department of Social Services and requiring LGBTQ youth's needs be specifically considered at-home, as, uh, at-home assessments, rather, including 
clarifying that conduct that poses risk to the health and safety of the LGBTQ youth is a valid reason to deny a family the right to host a foster youth. So the real brainwashing and the real indoctrination is going to be taking place now within Child Protective Services and within these adoption agencies and, of course, within these foster parent organizations and homes. Because, again, if they can confuse the child into believing something that isn't real and get them to play pretend, they may or may not give them to a particular foster family. They'll ask the foster family now a litany of questions. And if they don't answer the questions appropriately, or again, they happen to be a Christian foster family, you can guarantee that they're not going to get a specific child. Now, going back very quickly to the law that was not signed, or the bill that wasn't signed into law, that would have, of course, allowed the school system itself to essentially rip a child out of a family or call uh, Child Protective Services against parents and have that child ripped out if that child wants to play pretend with their genitals. If Given the fact that that hasn't happened, it doesn't mean that the school district itself isn't going to have input in this process. School districts in California will have input still. And they'll still be allowed, again, to help fill out some of this paperwork because, again, if the child is attending school, then the school legally has to provide some kind of a background regarding the child's behavior, their grades, again, what they do on a day-in and day-out basis within the school environment. And that right there is where that kind of information is still going to be revealed and it's going to be sought after because, again, all of these people are Satanists and they're all disgusting. And they're trying to destroy children as as much as humanly possible. So, again, if you needed another green flag to get out of school, in particular in the state of California, I, I would hope that that would certainly be it. That these particular moves that California has recently made are certainly in that uh, in that vein that need to be considered. And yeah, I mean, you need to get out. It pretty much goes without saying. Okay. Uh, as far as Gavin Newsom is concerned, this came across my my uh, my radar here. I'm very familiar with the guy by the name of Greg Rabini. I came across Greg Rabini's work a while back dealing with, I think, the Russia hoax, if I'm not mistaken. And in, in fact, it had a lot to do with the uh, the coup that was taking place regarding James Comey and his whereabouts and his travels when Donald Trump was attempting to run for president and then became president and all of that stuff. That's where Greg Rabini seemed to make a lot of his bones. Wrote a couple of books, followed me on Gab. I read his posts online. Bright guy. But uh, he put this out on, on Twitter or wherever he put it out, and this is being forwarded from a James Bradley. I put this up on my Gab page. You can check it out yourself, but I just wanted to read this because it's plausible and certainly interesting. It says the following. It says, political author Greg Rabini has reported inside info that Kamala will be forced to resign as vice president and sent to the Senate to replace Dianne Feinstein. Then Gavin Newsom will be subbed in as the vice president. Now, again, I don't know if that can happen legally. I don't know if you can actually do that. I don't know if you can just pluck someone to be the vice president when 
the current vice president decides to resign from that position and just become a senator again. Again, I, I don't know the legal ins and outs of all of this, but I'm just reading it to you just because. Uh, it says, then they will remove Joe Biden from office. So they claim that once Gavin is placed as vice president, which I don't think can legally happen, uh, Kamala Harris takes a step back into the Senate or in one order or another, or again, maybe it's not legally viable. They claim that uh, Joe Biden's going to be removed one way or another. They say this, and it's a direct quote either he will die of COVID, or he fell from his bicycle, or whatever, or one way or another, he will be forced to resign. Then Newsom will run against Trump. I have no trouble believing any of this, they said, because since 2020, it's become obvious that politics has become a 3D chess game with human pieces from both parties being moved into their places. So when Newsom says that he won't run for president, that is what he means. The presidency will be given to him. Folks, America is at DEFCON 1, giving Newsom national power is an existential crisis. We must take back the White House in 2024, or America is lost to us. I'm in the fight. I pray that you will join me there. God bless America. Okay. I don't think any of that can legally take place. We know lots of things are taking place that aren't legal, but I don't think that this can actually happen. I don't think Kamala Harris can resign and say, I just want Gavin Newsom to be vice president. It's an interesting story. I, I just don't think it's, it's legal by any stretch. Now, on top of all of that, to be honest, I really do tend to believe Donald Trump when he says, I'm coming back sooner than you think. And he said it on multiple occasions. He says, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coming back uh, one way or another you know, sooner than you might think or sooner than you might want, however he's phrased it. And I'm sure he's phrased it a couple of different ways, but with everything that's happening and with the cards that are being forced on the enemy to be played in a particular order, it's pretty evident that there are good guys in control of a great deal of what's going on because they're throwing particular imagery at people that stimulates them a particular way. In fact, Almost everything that's being thrown out there right this minute, although it's happening consistently, but one of the things that's happened just this week within the last day or so, certainly within the last seven days, is a certain level of hypocrisy, I think, that has to be highlighted because this is being, it's too obvious. I'll just put it that way. It's just too obvious. So let me start with this very quickly. You recall in the last episode, I brought up the Maria Abramovic, uh, whatever you want to call that, Ukrainian spokesperson or ambassador to Ukraine when it comes to K-12 schools and children, okay? Everybody knows she's a practicing Satanist. Everybody knows this. The, the imagery is out there. The pictures are out there, the whole thing. Why would that take place? Because back in the day, during the Pizzagate spirit cooking, Satanism, child trafficking, child slavery, um, child sacrifice investigations that were taking place big time during the Q drops, certainly. Yes, they happened way before the Q drops ever took place, but they happened big time during the Q drops. Uh, when all of that happened, the homework that 
anonymous individuals, myself included, and countless others were, were diving down numerous rabbit holes looking for what these people have done, the associations that these people have. And pictures started to come up on the internet and uh, Instagram accounts and a number of other things that are very disturbing, including videos and a, and a bunch of other things regarding specifically Maria Abramovic and her associations. So, given the fact that we have all that information, then and basically that's all out there now on the internet as a result of the digging that so many had have done over the years. Why all of a sudden would they bring her back? into the limelight in a headline with an association to Zelensky and Ukraine and children and all of that, again, money that's been allegedly being sent to Ukraine. Why now? Because again, if a leftist or a normie were to look her up and say, well, who is this woman? What kinds of imagery are, are going to pop up? I mean, it, it would... It would shock even a leftist, you would think. And I bet it has. Because again, what are two things, what are two subjects that are now combined out of nowhere, but what are two subjects that leftists absolutely love and that they have been fundraising for, in particular, even the city council where I live? You heard me bring up in a previous episode that the city council where I live in the town where I live they are a sister city now of the, or they have a sister city in Ukraine allegedly and they're claiming to raise money to give books to kids so the two things that liberals love most right now are Ukraine and school well now if you look those two things up at the same time you come up with Maria Abramovic and all of the satanic pictures and the blood and you know all of it and i think this is a psychological operation, without a doubt. It has to be. There's even this particular post that I found on Reddit that made its way to another board that I follow, and I'm just going to read this, and here's what it says. Uh, yeah, I think this is from Reddit. Yep, it is. Okay, so it says this. This individual wrote this on, on a particular thread. They said, quote, I've been a liberal Democrat my whole life, but it's shit like this that has me stepping back, not because putting her in that position is a liberal thing, quote-unquote. It's because what I show people and I ask, what the F? I get sneered at or placated, like suddenly I'm so conservative. I'm 48 and still listen to Guar religiously, and I uh, skip church a lot. So that conservative, quote-unquote, horseshit is for the birds. This is why Satanism bothers me. What's the point? If it's all made up and you're doing it to be freaky, you're not being freaky, you're an asshole. If it's real, then you're actively saying to yourself, quote, okay, I know there is a higher power above all things. I know that there is good and evil and it's real. I'm going with evil, unquote. Then they said, dude, you don't get brownie points with the devil. You don't get... You don't get the kick-ass condo in hell. So again, you must be some sort of asshole. How is an asshole going to help Ukraine and instead not push the world further along the path of World War III? I smell bad business in Ukraine. Very bad business, unquote. Again, that's a Reddit post written by a leftist 
regarding the placement, perceived placement, of Maria Abramovic in Ukraine as being an ambassador of K-12 schools and children. It has to be a PSYOP. It has to be. And it's a PSYOP to wake people up. And it's a PSYOP to make the people who have been caring about Ukraine and caring about schools and donating money, it's, it's designed to make them look foolish. And it's designed to, to quiet them down by, again, just throwing all of that factual information about her back in their faces. Because when they do a basic internet search, that's what they're going to come across now. So, yeah. It was the Anons back in the day that did the homework on her. We were given prompts, of course, but the Anons did the homework. They flooded the internet with her. And the media, of course, was forced to write a bunch of a bunch of pieces defending her, which is incredible. You know, uh, conspiracy theorists call Maria Abramovic a, a Satanist, and that's not true. She's a performance artist and all these other words that they use. So this has to be a psyop because it's too obvious. But it's obvious to us. We have to understand that it's it's obvious to us because we know how evil she is and her associations and how evil those associations and the people that she's around really are. And it's all over Twitter even too, which is fine. Because again, that's where the normies hang out. They hang out on Twitter. But if again, if they're coming across it and people are throwing it into their into their chat feeds or throwing it into wherever they're seeing it, well, that's going to raise a few red flags in their minds. So again, I think it's a good thing. I think ultimately it's a good thing. And these psychological operations, again, are taking place with regularity on a constant basis. And sometimes it's difficult to figure out which one is and which one isn't. Which leads me to this now. There's this one. This, again, sort of popped up out of nowhere and, and was making the rounds the other day. And it has to do with a German family that was living in Germany for a very long time. They were raised there, born and raised there. And the parents were homeschooling their children, and they have nine children, as of now anyway. But they were homeschooling their children, and the German government doesn't allow for homeschooling. So they were seeking to fine the parents. So the parents legally emigrated over to the United States 15 years ago, and they've been living in Tennessee for 15 years. Two of their children are now married to Americans. Nice-looking family. Uh, the father is a pianist, and he works, apparently, either as a professional musician or at a college, wherever it is. And I'll, I'll play the audio here from that because it's in the last war video also. But now they're being told by the Department of Justice in America that they have to go back to Germany because they weren't allowed to legally leave, even though they did, but they have to pay fines for, I don't know, they have to pay fines to the German government or the German government is claiming that they have to come back because they were being fined, whatever it is. So the entire story is clearly awful, but it does beg the question again, is this another psychological operation to show the hypocrisy of our immigration system? That this family that is producing and working hard and being law-abiding are, are being forced to leave, and in particular, given the fact that they're homeschooling, and now our southern border and other borders are being invaded by individuals who can't speak English and don't belong here. 
that that is allowed, but what this German family has done is not. I think, again, this is a psyop to attack homeschoolers, to wake people up to homeschooling to some extent. I'm not saying it's not real. I don't know one way or another. I think the Maria Abramovic thing is more of a psyop than this, but this is, if this is a psyop, this is a good one too, because you're hitting two birds with one stone on this also. You're waking up people to the importance of homeschooling in America and homeschooling around the world, and at the exact same time, you're shining a light on the hypocrisy of the immigration battle and the invasion that's taking place. So give this audio a listen about the story, and then I'll read a few more specifics about it in just a second. So here it is in three, two, one. An East Tennessee family may be forced to leave the country. Originally from Germany, they settled in Morristown almost 15 years ago. Tennis reporter Vinay Simlot joins us from the newsroom to explain why the federal government says the family must return to Germany. Vinay? Robin John, they moved to the U.S. in 2008. Because German laws don't let parents homeschool their children. Uwe Romanka says the schools in Germany were teaching an anti-Christian sentiment. On the keys, Uwe Romanka knows what's next. He's mastered the notes, practiced the songs. For everything where a piano is needed, that's what, what I'm doing. The piano player at Carson Newman has a family of nine, seven children. We started homeschooling our children in 2006. Their future is uncertain. It's quite impossible. Uwe says the German government fined him and his wife for homeschooling their children. They fled to Morristown in 2008 seeking asylum. Their argument was, we've got a well-founded fear of persecution by Germany because we're in this particular social category of homeschoolers. Kevin Bowden and the Homeschool Legal Defense Association helped the Romaikas fight in court. An appeals court ruled against their asylum. They have not shown that Germany's enforcement of its general school attendance law amounts to persecution against them, the judge wrote. And they're here with the approval of the U.S. government, but without permanent residency. Uwe says immigration agents asked him and his family to get German passports ready to self-deport. So we will be faced the same situation, same kind of persecution. Two of his children are married to American citizens. Two others were born here. He says the hardest part is not knowing what's next. We don't have a place to live there. Uh, I don't have any work to provide for my family over there. Now, the Romaikas have stayed here since that ruling through an understanding with ICE. They're required to check in with immigration agents every six months to a year. Now they say they're working with their attorneys to figure out what's next. Now, there's a lot here, okay? There's a lot to break down here. And, of course, they're coming after them allegedly because they're Christians. So there's that element also. I have to mention this first before I get into it. I came across a document the other day on Telegram, and I want to say it was on Lynn Wood's Telegram, although it could have been another one. Either way, I downloaded the document, started reading through it. It's pretty incredible. And it's called The Court System and Freemasonry. I've put this document up on my website. It's about a 50-page PDF. It's under the Government Documents tab, and it's document number 20. I highly recommend taking a look at it. It's a nice education on Freemasonry. Uh, and then, of course, they get into what Freemasons do in the judiciary and in law enforcement, but specifically within the judiciary, 
and the moves that they make to protect one another. Because remember, if they're all Masons, they all have to back each other's play no matter what. And they do that because that's what higher level Masons do. Lower level Masons, of course, tend to tend to do the same thing, but they don't know what they're doing at the low level. They think that they're a charitable organization. They just, I don't know, like dressing up like gay chefs for some reason. But either way, um, that's that, that, that document exists on my website, and I highly recommend checking it out. So th- that could certainly be a play here, and I, I think that it is. Now let's run under the assumption that this is real, okay? That this entire thing is not a psyop, but but actually a real thing. On the Homeschooling Legal Defense Association's website, which I will link in the description below, and I put it up on Gab also, there's a petition that you can sign regarding supporting this family, and they ask again for your name, address, email, city, state, and zip code. I signed the petition. I don't know what the petition would do necessarily. Uh, it, it, as of right now, I should say it has 36,687 people who have signed it, and it says that their goal is 100,000 people. Um, either way, this is awful, to say the least. And when government, of course, is reaching into a family environment to destroy the family, you should know exactly who your enemy is. And it doesn't have to be your family. It can be anybody's family. So. If they end up going back to Germany, I think it goes without saying that they should stay together as a family, live together as a family wherever they have to in order to make ends meet and survive. And they just need to survive. But fortunately, I think that this has brought a great deal of attention not only to them, but to, again, the larger agenda here at play. And hopefully they get the financial aid and even the legal aid that they need so that they don't find their way to Germany and just immediately become homeless. There are a lot of excellent patriots who live in Germany and would help this family, I'm certain. And hopefully, again, a time comes when when they can come back here because clearly they like being here, I think, instead. Uh, Either way, here's kind of a little history on it. It says, why this petition matters. It says that they are a homeschooling family, the Ramakis, if I'm saying that right, probably not, uh, forced to flee Germany. They were being persecuted because of their religious conviction that they should be the ones directing their children's education. So in 2013, in the face of overwhelming public pressure to grant the asylum, the Obama administration granted this family an indefinitely deferred action status, quote unquote. This has allowed them to live and work in the United States for the last 10 years without fear of deportation. Then in September of this year, 2023, without any prior warning or explanation, they were told that they are being deported and have four weeks to obtain passports to Germany. Germany's opposition to homeschooling has only increased in the last 10 years, making criminal charges against the family all but certain upon their return. President Biden and his administration have the authority to direct the Office of Immigration and Customs Enforcement to reinstate the Ramakis' deferred status and save them from deportation. Together, we can ask the Biden administration to do just that, and that apparently is what the petition is all about. Now, the good guys have to know about this. There's no way that they don't. 
stories like this don't make their way and don't make the rounds on Twitter or Gab without the good guys knowing. So they have to know. Uh, And if all it takes is a stroke of a pen from ICE in order to keep them here and allow them to stay, well, then that's all it takes. If it's an administrative signature, then so be it. But the question I think people have to ask themselves is, is who's asking about this regarding Joe Biden and his fake administration? Is it even a legal order, a legal deportation? See, it's these kinds of stories, too, where if the good guys know about them and Donald Trump is giving a speech, why is Donald Trump not mentioning this family in his most recent speeches? Why does he not bring this up? Again, if you know, if Donald Trump wants to be relevant in the speeches that he's giving moving forward here, and, and again, I like plenty of what he's saying. It's it's all great. And I have no idea, you know, no doubt rather that the enemy is going to play a number of different hands in the future. And it's quite possible we don't even have an election, so that again, everybody in America gets to understand what that feels like, even if it's a controlled white hat operation. But I feel like Donald Trump still has a responsibility to bring up what's most relevant and what's going on in the world. And the people around him writing his speeches, they need to be the individuals bringing stories like this to bear. So they certainly don't listen to this show, but I would make a simple suggestion. The next time Donald Trump gives a speech, he needs to bring up this family because There are still many of Americans who have no idea that this kind of a thing is happening against a good, white, Christian family. Whereas, again, foreigners from God knows where are pouring into our country, uh, raping each other along the way, bringing drugs and a whole lot of crime, and they're allowed in, and they get a cell phone and a free debit card and a place to live and food in their stomach. If they make it across the border and they make themselves, you know, into uh, into custody somehow, so it would show the hypocrisy again, even to the so-called awake, who clearly don't support illegal immigration, but would certainly support a family like this because they did it the right way. So I don't know. I I, I just think that Donald Trump has a responsibility, and so of course does everyone else, to bring this to the forefront so that. It doesn't get swept under the rug. Again, it begs the question, and I don't like any of these people. I want to make that abundantly clear, but you know, the individuals, again, in the so-called press room, like the Peter Ducey's of the world, and frankly, anybody, they're not going to bring this up because, again, they're a Christian white family. But they have a responsibility to bring it up because, again, it shows the blatant hypocrisy. So it begs the question, where's Peter Ducey during all of this? Why isn't Peter Ducey bringing this up to, well, you know, old uh, mop head Corinne Jean-Pierre? I mean, bring it up to her. Is the Biden administration aware of, of this family and how they're being deported, uh, you know, because of a law that they've allegedly broken in Germany when, in fact, they really didn't break a law? They just left because they didn't want to pay fines for homeschooling their children. So they went to a country where homeschooling your children is not a crime. That's not against the law, and they came here legally. And again, Obama's administration was the one who signed the order. Now, his administration wasn't real either. He wasn't born in the United States either. But the point is, is that the hypocrisy with this story alone 
needs to be focused on and brought up by more individuals. And again, if Peter Ducey's not going to do it, and let's face it, he probably won't, Donald Trump has a responsibility to bring this up. He has to bring this up. If for no other reason, then be selfish and bring it up for the fact that it shows the hypocrisy of the entire immigration system. This is proof that it's broken. I mean, we have the proof. We don't need this horrific story of this of this innocent family allegedly being deported. But even so, it's certainly worth worth bringing up. And I wish that the people around him would pay more attention to Gab as a social media outlet, because if you really want to know what's really going on in the world, you have to be on Gab. And then, of course, Donald Trump could work Gab-related stories or stories that find their way to gab anyway into his speeches and he would sound more relevant about what's really going on certainly from individuals who are on the ground level paying attention to this kind of stuff that's my two cents but anyway that's my take on the whole thing so i don't know if the petition's going to do anything i signed it uh you know that's about it just pray for him and again i'm assuming it's not a psychological operation I'm assuming it's real. But if it is a PSYOP, it's one hell of a PSYOP, isn't it? I mean, it's a multi-pronged PSYOP. Christians, whites, homeschooling, immigration, all wrapped into one package right there. That's going to piss off a lot of people. Pisses me off if it's real. But there you go. Okay. Moving on, I wanted to mention this too. I brought this story up a while ago. Uh, this has been making the rounds, and Cicely brought this to my attention. The two, uh, the two black teenagers who beat a white guy to death in the parking lot of old LeBron James's I Can School in Akron, they were on trial, but they weren't on trial for murder, which is what they should have been on trial for because they murdered this kid. But uh, instead, the charges were dropped down to involuntary manslaughter, and they were found not guilty of involuntary manslaughter, and they were found instead guilty of assault. They killed this kid. They jumped him, uh, broke his neck, stepped on his head, knocked him to the ground, and there you have it. It's murder. Now. It goes without saying, but let's reverse the roles here, okay? We know that if the shoe was on the other foot, and these were two white guys who beat a black guy to death, they would throw, teenagers, I might add, if that was the case, they would have thrown the book at the white kid. He would have been charged with double homicide, or double involuntary manslaughter, or certainly, it would, I mean, let's face it, it would have been murder, but they would have they would have thrown everything at him uh death penalty death row what whatever it may be not so in this case so they beat uh Ethan Limming if i'm saying that right or Liming to death outside of the school he was 17 years old this was back in june and again they've just been convicted of assault and that's it well assault is a felony but it's not, uh, you know, it, it's not, it's not going to damage them necessarily in any way. It says on Monday, a jury convicted the two brothers, Deshaun Stafford, 20, and his brother, 19-year-old Tyler, on lesser assault charges. 
So they're facing up to, let's see, it says Deshaun first was found guilty of felony aggravated assault and one misdemeanor count of assault. His brother was found guilty of one count of misdemeanor assault. A misdemeanor. It says Deshaun is only facing up to two and a half years in prison after he fatally punched a minor teen. Freemasonry, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it's race-related, we know that. But the court system and Freemasonry, if they have orders by other Masons, they have to follow them. Lawyers are Masons, cops are Masons, judges are Masons, you name it. It goes up and down. And yes, there are black Freemasons. Freemasonry is not just a white club. There are blacks in Freemasonry. There are women who are associated with, again, Freemasonic groups as well. This is a thing. And we know why it's happening also. It's happening because there is a race replacement element in this. There's a satanic element in this. There's a satanic Jewish element in this. All of that's tied together. And again, it's, uh, you know, it's directly tied to LeBron James's school. So if this happened somewhere else, if this was a, just a random parking lot in Alabama or a random parking lot in another state, this would not have been the outcome of this particular trial. No one would have accepted that, uh, that they try these individuals for manslaughter or involuntary manslaughter. Because again, let's, let's look at another case, for example, without naming any names because I don't have to. If an individual gets behind the wheel of a car, and kill someone. Not intentionally, of course. It's an accident, but they end up dying. They can be charged with involuntary manslaughter. In particular, if the individual who is doing the driving of the automobile who hits other people and ends up killing them is breaking the law while they're driving. If they're intoxicated, then almost always, if someone dies, they're going to be charged with involuntary manslaughter. They didn't mean to do it. They didn't mean to get intoxicated, get in a car, and purposely go out and kill somebody, but it doesn't matter. That's why it's involuntary manslaughter. Did these two black kids try to kill this white kid? Only they and God know that. And Satan knows that. But they killed him nonetheless. And they beat him and they broke his neck and stepped on his neck and, you know, a thousand other things. Well, that's murder. That's not involuntary manslaughter. I mean, they purposefully sought this kid out. That was the point. So that's intentional. But again, this is, this is the Freemasonic legal system that we all operate under, and it's awful. In fact, let me read from that document, the court system of Freemasonry. The court system and Freemasonry, rather. This is on page 20. Actually, it's on page 18. Uh, I'm just hand-selecting this one particular paragraph here, but it says this. It says, Freemasonry believes and teaches its members that they are above the law of the land, that they are bound by oath to answer exclusively to their Masonic obligation as decreed by the Grand Lodge governing their jurisdiction. It rewards its members by way of organized corruption through a system of favoritism that assures preferential treatment throughout society. 
All levels of government are affected by its self-serving agenda designed to shield itself from investigation. In North America, the media has been unable to conduct investigative reporting under its influence. With its presence in the justice system, it has guaranteed itself protection from prosecution. In every way, Freemasonry is a blight upon the land as a vehicle for wanton corruption. In essence, it is, as Reverend Charles Finney describes, an evil scourge inflicting and bringing about the worst of human character. The murder of Captain William Morgan, Appendix C, demonstrates the effects of Freemasonry on the human character. However, as demonstrated by subsequent revelations surrounding this murder, most people will reevaluate their involvement and respond appropriately where in possession of the truth, or when in possession of the truth. And it just continues to go on and on and on. Again, this document's incredible. It talks about hand gestures that they'll give each other in court. It talks about words that they'll use in court that will indicate to one another that they are Masonic uh, and that they have to back each other's play no matter what. Not to mention, it talks again about getting to individuals behind closed doors before certain instances come to light. Uh, certain things go to trial, a number of different things, and certain verdicts can even, uh, you know, find their way basically to a courtroom before a jury even makes the decision because even the jury can be bought and there can even be masons on juries and we know this for a fact and it just it just keeps going on and on. So, a, a, you know, a case like that is, is beyond dirty. We know it. And uh, unfortunately, the societal times influence these kinds of people as well. And it influences how many people get to these people in order to influence their decisions. But you can't trust somebody who takes two oaths. You can't trust somebody who takes an oath to Freemasonry and also puts their hand on a Bible and claims to uphold the law of the United States or the law of the land. Again, they think they are the law of the land. So therein lies the hypocrisy and therein lies the problem. All right, moving on. Uh, there is this too. LeVar Burton. Old LeVar, reading Rainbow's LeVar Burton, he claims that blocking children's access to explicit books is white supremacy, so saith the headline. Basically, again, it's a bunch of Freemasonic Satanists in Hollywood who signed some moveon.org petition, all agreeing that, uh, you know, the removal of, of gay books and perverse books in the pornography that uh, exists within American K-12 libraries by taking it out. It just shows you're a white supremacy and you don't care about kids' rights and blah, blah, blah. He was just one of many. Bill Nye, the science guy, Alyssa Milano, Andy Cohen, Ariana Grande, Chelsea Handler, Judd Apatow, Judy Bloom, Mark Ruffalo, Zoe Deschanel, and Ron Perlman. Hmm, what do, what do a lot of them have in common? What do they have in common? Hmm, what could it possibly be? Every single time, I'm afraid. Every single time. Okay. Moving on, uh, I want to bring up this. This is from the past, and this right here, again, it ties into a lot of what I've already brought up, but it goes back to 2020. The hell year of 2020, where the dividing line in society took place and people went their separate ways, and rightfully so. 
This again was the gauntlet. This was the line in the sand, the year of 2020. I'm sure we all remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I want to mention this. This was a story that came up on the teacher's quitting page on Telegram. I highly recommend following them over there. Good stuff. And this is, this. I mean, this was interesting. It's sad, but uh, this guy was based. This is a long story short, very quickly, before I get into some specifics. This was about a Dr. Mike Adams, who was a university professor at UNCW, the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. I've been on that campus. A cousin of mine graduated from that campus. Beautiful campus. But as you would expect, it's filled with whack jobs. And it's filled with uh, whack job students. And, well, that's just the environment. But 2020 was really where, again, if you spoke out against Black Lives Matter, the lockdowns, and the COVID lie, um, people would start petitions about you and try to slander you and libel you and ruin you. Again, a very similar thing was attempted regarding my own dad. But uh, unfortunately for this Dr. Mike Adams, he ended up taking his own life. But this guy was based. This professor was based. So this particular article is from the Seahawk.org, written by a Veronica Wernicke and a Brenda Flanagan on June 5th of 2020. It says the following. UNCW professor came under fire again after students brought attention to his prejudiced tweets, it says, about Black Lives Matter, about the Black Lives Matter movement. This sparked students and community members to share their experiences with Dr. Mike Adams, who works in the sociology and criminology department. Their outcries show a long history of problematic behavior from the professor. Uh, three new change.org petitions have been created to get Adams fired. 55,000 signatures. The thing that people have to understand, too, is is that these change.org petitions, anybody can sign them. You don't even have to live here. You don't even have to be in this country. Anybody can sign them. You don't have to know the truth about anything. It is, hands down, a Bolshevik tactic that is used by Bolsheviks to ruin someone. What you have to do, of course, is just keep doubling down. That's how you destroy a Bolshevik. You just keep doubling down. You just keep doing the thing that they don't expect you to do. Because what they do is, these Bolsheviks, is they will attack you and attack you and attack you, and they'll, they'll do whatever they have to do to either get you to resign, fired, you know, sell your home, move, whatever. You just have to keep doubling down. Now, again, this dude's tweets, this Dr. Mike Adams, uh, the, the departed himself, um, his tweets were awesome. And here's what he said on one of them on May 29th of 2020. He says, rioters don't care about social issues. They are thugs looking for an opportunity to break the law with impunity. Yes. Keep in mind, the guy's a sociology and criminology professor. He's not wrong. It's 100% right. But only the Black Lives Matter dummies were like, well, that's racist. You can't say that. And again, there was more university pressure. And then, of course, other idiots within the university kept coming after him. Here's one from May 28th, the day before. He tweeted out, don't shut down the universities. Shut down the non-essential majors like women's studies. 
<laughs> That's great. That's great. That's great. Again, the guy was based. He knew what was up. He knew what was going on. Here was another one. This one's from May 29th again. Uh, he said, quote, This evening I ate pizza and drank beer with six guys at a six-seat tabletop. I almost felt like a free man who was not living in the slave state of North Carolina. Massa Koopa let my people go. Unquote. Of course, he's referring to their governor. Because they were on lockdown, allegedly. And closing places and, again, threatening people and limiting movement and a thousand other things. He's 100% right. He has freedom of speech. Here's the sad part. The sad part is that all of this became too much. All of the attacks against him became way too much. Uh, the alum even wrote, uh, alumni even wrote a letter urging the university, UNCW, to fire him. There were numerous complaints, more petitions, so on and so forth. And unfortunately, in August, he shot himself to death. So, rest in peace. You were based as hell. Uh, we could have needed. I mean, we needed you in the fight. He ended up winning, by the way. Before he killed himself, he won a half a million dollar lawsuit from the university. So great. Um, in fact, he he once sued them a while back for discrimination and uh, and violating his free speech rights back in 2017, and they reached a settlement in 2014 where he received the promotion that he was after, probably to full professor, which it, it, that's exactly what it says here, uh, $50,000 in back pay and an annual salary of $75,000. In a $9,000 raise, according to the Star News Public Employees Salary Database. The, the guy's gone after the university before for violating his rights. So here's, I, I, there are a lot of lessons here, but one of them is this. You can't back down from Bolsheviks. That's number one. Number two, if you think winning lawsuits and getting money can, can fix a person's frame of mind, think again. Because this guy won in court against these people before regarding his, his promotion and tenure, essentially. And then, again, ended up winning approximately half a million dollars in this suit also, which it says here, this is from the New York Post, um, that he had reached a $500,000 settlement with the university and was set to retire on August 1st of 2020. Um, he ended up killing himself shortly after that, apparently. But again, I, th I just think that another lesson here is that you never know when a person is going to break. It doesn't matter how many good things are happening to the individual. I've written about this on numerous occasions before, certainly within a number of my books, that even if the person is seemingly winning and receiving funds as a result of standing up for their God-given rights, that it's still going to take a toll on a person mentally and emotionally. And again, it would have been awesome to have this guy in the fight, certainly during the last, uh, the last two years, without a doubt, the last three years. But um, this guy was based as hell. He was just 100% based. He knew what was going on. He was calling out everybody's hypocrisy. He wasn't playing the game. 
This would have been a guy who wouldn't have taken the shots. He, he, he was awake. This guy was awake. But the mob got to him, and the mob wore him down, and, and that was it. So you never back down from a Bolshevik because that's what they're expecting. That's how they win. They win by you backing down and by going back into a hole and not doing what you were doing. It doesn't mean that you go out there and you, you know, pick fights and be reckless, but you have freedom of speech and you have freedom of expression. You know, you don't, uh, you don't punch a hornet's nest necessarily, but at the exact same time, you don't run away from hornets when they're coming after you. You stand your ground and you crush them. So it's, it's just a difference in tactics, but again, ultimately and unfortunately, it, it wore down on him. But I wanted to revisit that story because that happened and it, that is still happening and things like that are still happening, which again is why the business is crumbling. Everybody knows that the education business, at least everybody who's awake, knows that it is a Bolshevik-run business. doesn't matter if it's K-12, public, private, charter, Catholic, or, uh, or the university and college level. It just doesn't matter. It's all Bolshevism, and it's becoming more and more that, which is why it has to cease to exist, and it can cease to exist with your lack of participation. Okay. Jab-related stuff. I've got a few things here. First of all, there is this. You've heard me speak about this one with regularity, and I love it. I love the fact that a research paper last month was written about this, and now this is finally starting to make the rounds. This is titled, and this is not the research article itself, but I will get to it in a second. This is titled, Long COVID Research Plagued by Flawed Methods say experts. It says, overly broad definitions, a lack of appropriate or any comparison groups, among other things, in studies looking at the incidence, prevalence, and control of the condition epidemiology have uh, distorted the risks, it says, say the researchers. This specifically has to do with the phrase, long COVID. Now, you've listened to this show. You're smart people, uh, not because you listen to this show. You're just smart people on your own. But you know this. Long COVID doesn't exist. There's no such thing. It is quite literally a manufactured phrase to justify the presence of a permanently compromised immune system as a result of the shots. Ergo, it's AIDS or VADES. Whichever term you want to use or acronym you want to use, they're both the same theoretically, but you, you get the gist of it. Long COVID is an excuse that the normies use to justify why they keep getting sick after receiving the shots. Doctors use the phrase long COVID. The CDC has used the phrase long COVID. Fauci, Walensky, the current CDC director, Cohen, all of them. They've all used this, this phrase before, and the normies use it with regularity because those are the people that they listen to. So here's the actual research article itself and what they revealed. It's exquisite. It's a, the actual research title is this, How Methodological Pitfalls Have Created Widespread Misunderstanding About Long COVID. There were three authors associated with this, and this was published 
I believe, back in August, if memory serves. Uh, okay, here we go. Key messages. There are three bullet points as the key messages from this particular study, which again is basically their abstract. It says the following, quote, The existing epidemiological research on long COVID has suffered from overly broad case definitions and a striking absence of control groups which have led to distortion of risk. The unintended consequences of this may include, but are not limited to, increased societal anxiety and healthcare spending, a failure to diagnose other treatable conditions, misdiagnosed as long COVID, and diversion of funds and attention from those who truly suffer from chronic conditions secondary to COVID-19. Future research should include properly matched control groups, sufficient follow-up time after infection, and internationally established diagnostic or inclusion and exclusion criteria, unquote. It's a flat-out open discovery and an open admission that by using the term long COVID, you're not actually diagnosing anything, treating anything, identifying anything, or looking at anything objectively. If everybody was just calling chronic illness after the shots hamburgers, and everybody just started saying hamburgers, then they would say, well, I have hamburgers. And that's it. Again, it's the world's worst game of telephone. They're saying the same thing over and over and over again, which is what the game of telephone is but they don't know what they're saying or why they're saying it. They're, they're not even thinking about it. They're just saying, well, clearly it's long COVID. They're uh, lying in bed. They can't move. Yes, they've taken two or three shots and they have heart failure and a thousand other things, but clearly it's long COVID. It's, it's beyond ridiculous, and this paper proves it. Long COVID isn't real. Permanently damaged DNA is real. We know this. Permanently damaged DNA is a result of any quote-unquote vaccine. This isn't a vaccine. All vaccines are biological weapons, but this is a biological weapon too. And that right there causes AIDS, which is a litany of syndromes and endless conditions that exist as a result of having a permanently compromised immune system because you have broken DNA. That's it. That's simple. Any medical doctor could say that. I'm not a medical doctor, and I can say it because I know the truth. You're not a medical doctor, maybe, and, and you know the exact same thing. That's a very simple and truthful explanation. See why kids in school fail? I mean, this is it. This is the reason why kids in school fail. This is why not everybody has straight A's. Because no one's on the same page. Everybody's repeating lies and fairy tales, and they don't understand how simple the actual truth really is. In the words of Judge Judy, again, when you tell the truth, you don't need a good memory. But when you lie, you just have to be dumb enough to remember a phrase and then repeat it all the time. Long COVID. This paper proves that long COVID isn't real, doesn't exist, never been identified, Never been studied? Not a thing. It's a buzzword. And unfortunately, it's a buzzword that's gotten lots of people killed. Again, if I had a nickel 
for every time that I've heard a jabbed person after they've gotten the jab say, well, I, I got COVID, I'd have a truckload full of nickels. How is that possible, jabbed people? Again, I have sympathy for some. I, re I really, really do. But for individuals that don't ask questions and, and ask themselves, well, how is it possible? How is it possible that I got quote-unquote COVID, which also isn't real, FYI, how is it that you got that after taking the shots that were supposed to keep you from getting it? Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. I also wanted to read this. This was tossed to me by our Michigan business friend, who will remain anonymous uh, for, for the moment anyway, and continue to remain anonymous. But thank you again for sending this my way. A couple of things, actually. One of them is a substack here from Dr. Anna Maria. I'm going to get her last name right. Give me a second. My Hal, My Halcia. There we go. I think that's right. Um, her work is fantastic. I highly recommend following her on Substack if you can. Her Substack is called Humanity United Now. And uh, I'm going to read this. This has a lot to do, again, with 5G. And there is a 5G symposium live stream that's taking place this Friday, September 29th, starting at 11.50 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. She says here that the event will be live-streamed on Friday. The America Media Periscope News will interrupt their irregular programming to stream this across their platform. Uh, I will post a link to the live stream later this week, she says, and it will likely go up until 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The symposium will evolve around the topic of 5G. And again, she gets into the business of uh, the October 4th FEMA alert. What um, These are the individuals that are going to be participating in this. Attorney Todd Callender, Attorney Warren Mendenhall, Attorney Bobby Ann Cox, Dr. Lee uh, Valit, if I'm saying her name correctly. They, of course, were also guests on SGT Report recently. Teresa Long, Dr. Teresa Long. Dr. Pete Chambers, Attorney David uh, Meisweichel, my apologies there. Joseph Sansone, PhD. Uh, Dr. Myhalacia is going to be there as well, and Ann Vandersteel. Jeff Prather also, I believe, is going to be there, and, and more individuals. This is going to be an interesting presentation. Again, who are you not going to hear in this presentation? Where's Dr. Robert Malone? Where's Dr. Simone Gold? How about Peter McCullough? Where are these people when it comes to 5G electromagnetism, electromagnetic uh, radiation, and the shots? Where are those people when it comes to this? See, they're too busy grifting. They don't want to expand their mind because this right here proves that virology, as a cough, cough, sneeze, sneeze kind of thing, is a lie. It just continues to prove that it's a lie, and they can't associate themselves with people like this because the people like this are out in front of what's really going on. So again, um, that symposium again is taking place on September 29th. If you subscribe for free to her Substack, she will pop up the link and make that available. I'll do the exact same thing uh, later this week for Friday's episode, and I'll include that in the link 
below on Friday's episode also if you want to check that out. Uh, I plan on tuning in and checking that out on Friday afternoon. should be interesting. Let me mention this too. The um, w- Again, when it comes to October 4th, I heard Do- um, Todd Callender rather say that uh, your microwave is a Faraday cage. So apparently if you leave your microwave plugged in so that it's grounded, but you pull the power to your house and you put your wireless devices inside of your microwave, of course, leaving your microwave turned off, you're not going to turn it on, but you, you turn off your devices and you put it inside of your microwave that can help, uh, help your, your devices from receiving any kind of a 5G pushout or a 5G signal, allegedly. He did say, however, that doesn't always work, and even Faraday cages don't always work because apparently people in the UK use some Faraday cages when their EBS alert came out and it didn't necessarily work. The, the message still went to their devices also. I mean, I, I would say this. I know that there's a lot of panic around October 4th. I'm not panicked in the slightest, but we do know that that such a widespread message you know, can hurt not just the jabbed, but also the unjabbed. And again, it begs the question, why are they doing it? They had a test of this system a while ago, but Mark Steele has openly laid out why they're doing it again. They're doing it to test their system to see how harmful it can be and how widespread it can be. So that should certainly be taken seriously. But again, uh, let me play the audio here from from Dr. Lee Merritt, and I agree with her. It's a, it's a great opportunity to just turn off your devices. Again, if you want to put them in a microwave or a Faraday cage, go for it. Uh, certainly turn off your, your wireless router if you can. Definitely do that, even if you go away for, for work for the day. Uh, you know, kill the power and uh, lock your doors, but just kill the power and unplug your, your, uh, your wireless router and let that be that. But here's Dr. Lee Merritt talking about what she plans on doing. And yeah, I'll bounce in on the other end of it. So give this a listen. Now, lastly, I'm just going to bring up something that I put on Telegram. Now, I've been talking about optogenetics, and maybe I'll come and talk about that sometime. But optogenetics is, the, is well it's being it's been a hot topic in modern research, and they claim they've never done it on humans, but I cite the Travis Scott concert, which I think is an optogenetic hit. Basically, what they do is they can make a chemical called an opsin, and they can hybridize these opsins to do certain things. They can make them very specific, and they can put them in you, and then they can beam a wavelength on it, and it will cause things to happen. Okay, That's a very brief study, but they can do it with very, very um, precise spatial temporal precision they call it very precise way so they can start and stop stop cardiac arrhythmias for example that's what i think happened at the travis scott concert they were all vaccinated young people they walked through through uh, uh, strobe lights and then they went into the music where there's all this wavelength and it tends to be a lower frequency wavelengths that are used to activate these things and Something happened and about 14 people dropped. And one person that survived it, that didn't just die, he said, it felt like when I was standing there, my heart just stopped. And that's what you would see in this kind of a hit. But in any case, they're talking about October 4th, an event. And this is, uh, I don't, you know, uh, there's a group called TLS. I think it's the light system it stands for. And these are people that, that claim that they have infiltrated the, the whatever we want. I call them the the Babylonian mafia, but the 
the big guys, the big elite in the world that are that are running this show, and that they're trying to, through various techniques, turn the tide by getting them to do things in different ways and, and stopping things. Well, they're the ones that put this this out through an intermediary. They said you need to get this word out, and this is a, a guy on the internet. Ned and he said, so he's just saying, he put it out. He's like, there's a new thing that came out today. I'll put that up. But he said that on October 4th at 2.22 p.m., they're going to do a, a theoretical test of the emergency broadcast system. Now, we've been hearing this for a while. So that part I can believe. And then they said, but what's really going to happen is they're going to blast this wavelength and it's going to do something. They don't know, but they're concerned that it's going to do something bad. Now, I will say that in addition to optogenetics and the Travis Scott concert and all the things I've looked at, it's my opinion that while they've been waving their hand about mRNA and trying to distract us over here, this is the kind of thing they've really been doing. And that this is very easy to do and cheaper relative than all that fancy uh, genetic manipulation to do mRNA technology. So I got to say, I think there's some some juice behind this. And for me, and, and, and I will say this, look at all the, the Chinese people that were, uh, there were several of these that you saw, and they were looking at their phone, and then they the flash, you could see it flash on their face, and then they just slumped over in their chair. I, I, you know, we didn't have any follow up on that, so who knows? And it, you know, we never. It's hard to know what psyop, but that's consistent. Again, these things you can't just take one data point, but this looks consistent across the, the, the spectrum. We had it happen in Israel, in South Korea. Um, so, uh, personally, I'm not going to take any chances. I'm going to take October 4th and I'm going to take the afternoon off and I'm just going to not be around any electronics. I'm going to shut down my house grid and put my phone into a Faraday cage. I didn't say to do that before, but that's probably a good idea uh, because they can activate it remotely whether you turn it off or not, unless you take the battery out. So I personally am going to do that. And um, and then if it doesn't happen, they say the backup's on October the 11th and I'll do it again then. And And the worst case scenario... They're going to produce a zombie apocalypse, you know, think the Hutus and the Tutsis. I mean, they're going to create some behavioral change in people that took this vaccine or somehow have this microtech in their body. That would be the worst case scenario. And the best case scenario is nothing happens and we all get a nice day away from our electronics to uh, commune with our families and nature. I, I think that's that's what I'm hoping for. So anyway, that's October 4th and October 11th. I would take it seriously. I would. I would. It's cheap and easy to do. Now, the problem is if you're at certain work and you're certain jobs, and I don't know what to tell you, but I think the, the best thing you can do is try and be away of your cell phone. The, who knows what else? About. TVs may do it, um, but, you know, if you're a policeman, you're on duty, and you've got, you've got to be on the radio, it's probably not going to be the radio. But I don't know. You know, you, probably, you guys probably know more about that than I do. Again, 5G is something, and 5G, 6G, uh, it, however many Gs you want to go. This is something that we haven't really experienced as a society yet. Again, it was in 2020 when these towers really started to go up. I'm not saying they weren't going up before 2020, but they went up in mass in the spring and summer of 2020, and they just keep going up. And you've heard me mention with regularity, and I'll keep doing it because it really is the litmus test and the buoy in the water. In the town where I live, they threw up six of these bad boys, 20 feet tall, green posts, at major areas in the center of town for the most part, major intersections and where people congregate and where traffic sits. And the town's finance director, an employee of the city, 
probably triple jabbed, dropped over dead in the middle of town next to one of these towers. So that pretty much describes everything that she just said. Question I have is, without putting out a memo, how in the hell would anybody know that one of these things was taking place? Because again, FEMA put out this memo back in August. And that's when I first reported on it and brought it to everybody's attention here. So what's keeping them from just doing it whenever they want? I mean, theoretically, nothing. They could do it whenever they wanted, and people wouldn't be prepared for it, and certainly the knowledgeable, which begs the question, again, why would they bring this out as a memo, and why would they do this at all? Which Todd Callender's asked the same question, what's the point? If it's not for nefarious reasons, then why would they do this? Because it serves no purpose. Yes, cell phones have changed. Yes, they've become more more electromagnetic radiated, so to speak, and and they have more of that ability since the last time when they they pulled this, uh, this FEMA alert, this presidential alert, so to speak. But why, why else would they do it if it, if it wasn't for a negative reason? I don't see it helping people is my, is my whole point. But as I wrote in Substack, again, this is, the, this is the deviation from the standard, so to speak. We're going to be able to see whether or not there are more sick people after the fact. And I, I think that it's likely, but who's to know? Who's to really know? So again, it's not a panic thing necessarily. It's just a vigilance thing. A person gets to be knowledgeable and vigilant and look at the landscape in war and make numerous determinations and then make sure that all your chess pieces are on the particular spots that they need to be on before the game starts. That's all. And then if there is no game, then there's no game. And if there is, well, then you know particular moves that you need to make. That's, that's the definition of vigilance, and that's a good thing. That's always a good thing. So speaking of vigilance, let me wrap up with this, actually. I received this email again from our, our business friend in, uh, in Michigan. And they, of course, I, I've read some of these posts in the past, but they have, uh, they have friends in other states who are associated with insurance companies, one in particular in New York, who they emailed and they ended up getting back to them and they told them this. And this right here again has to do with uh, insurance costs and why insurance costs are going up and what exactly is happening. So here's what they emailed me. They said the following. Um, We had a nice back and forth about the wasteful school spending, and they told me a bunch of stories regarding their kids when they were in school and and how awful uh, the wasteful spending was. And yeah, that it's beyond rampant. But here's what they said regarding insurance. They said, quote, I just got word from my insurance friend. Things are going to get really bad for all of us in the next 6 to 18 months as we gear up for Agenda 2030. As I mentioned previously, she explained that the state sets the insurance rates and each insurance company tax on their makeup so the insurance company has no control over the rates. All the control, all they control rather, is their profit. The rates are regulated by the government. Anyways, my government, I'm sorry, my insurance friend, my insurance agent friend rather, has officially confirmed that all states are increasing rates. 
What she is being told is that, apparently this is either a direct quote, but certainly broken down by the different kinds of insurance. It says car insurance rates. You will find this exceptionally interesting. They said the following here, uh, accidents are rapidly increasing. The accidents are triggering an increase in medical claims. The insurance companies are seeing a huge uptick in medical coverage claims. Inflation in the medical industry, in addition to increased claims, equals you have to charge more. And then they said, hmm, why do you suppose people are in vehicles and in vehicles are getting in record-breaking numbers of accidents and also need record-breaking medical care? I think they certainly know, and we do too. Uh, Let's see. They said, also, did you know that insurance on electric vehicles is around 30% more than a gas vehicle? The reason is, is they cost more to repair. The parts are harder to get, uh, and they are, quote, technically complex, quote unquote, and therefore, you have to bring it to the dealer who specializes in EV for repairs. And they also tend to get more in accidents. By the end of the year, car insurance will have had its biggest rate hike in almost 50 years, they said. Then they said home insurance increase. Climate change. Houses are being destroyed by floods, fires, and hail. When in reality, it's geoengineering, smart meters, and solar panels that are doing it. Uh, Inflation means higher costs for parts to repair. Then they said health insurance and life insurance, record-breaking medical claims and deaths associated with both. And then they said business insurance as a result of inflation. She said everyone needs to pay close attention to their bills, especially if they have payments. I'm sorry, if you have your payments auto-withdrawn in addition to paperless billing. These two things combined make it very easy for companies to slowly creep up the rates and nobody even knows. She suggests logging into your account and pulling up a bill from 2019 and then use that to compare to your current bill as well as the bill that you're going to receive in December and in 2024. Unquote. 100% right. They're 100% right. If you have a population decline, as I said in the last episode, it's basic economics, it's basic business. And I'm not an expert in either, but I do know this. If you have a business that is dependent on a population increasing and that population is decreasing and using that insurance more on the way out, so to speak, then those insurance costs for those of us who are still alive and everybody else who's still alive is going to increase jabbed or unjabbed. That's why everything is going up. Because the population is declining. And it's being used, these insurances are being used more because people are injured from what? What's the thing? that 60 to 70 or more percent people took that's causing the injury. I think we know. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I will have more updates on Friday. Stay tuned for that. And with that said, have a good one. Catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.